0: So, and thank you for tuning in to the first episode of the A to Z for 20-somethings in the 21st century. The Audible and loosely defined as encyclopedia covering aspects commonly experienced by 20-somethings in this decade. Each episode represents a letter of the alphabet and this week, being the first week, we're starting with the A volume. So you ready? Let's get stuck in. The Archive, the archive. A is for alcohol. We are experiencing our first decade of alcohol consumption, albeit for a few of us potentially a second. From our binge drinking, quaddies for a pound experimental phase to the more sophisticated wine and cheese evenings, alcohol has played a prominent role in establishing that 20-something you are. Whether it's because we really did overdo it with cheap alcohol, we're actually soberer than those that came before us. Our generation's alcohol abstinence is considered linked to our more general, conscious way of living, and not necessarily because all spirits makers gag, having mixed everything we found in our parents' alcohol cupboard. I, for one, won't forget always being that teenager that had an ouzo-flavoured Long Island iced TS cocktail that was the biggest hit on the green. This more conscious way of consuming alcohol has been coined as sober curious. Having said that, most 20-somethings haven't gone full tea total and are generally just being more mindful and mostly not d- drinking daily, which I'd say is true. But I also put it down to the stuff being so damn expensive. Not to mention, most wine isn't vegan and it's also full of sugar. These are two things that we're all trying to cut down on anyway. A is also for alternative milk. If you're a 20-something, you'll be well aware of how many different types of milk there are and how oat milk is definitely, hands down, the best and yet most expensive. Insert that crying emoji. With our more conscious way of living, we've pushed the industries to stop the abomination of calf slaughtering and instead squeeze out that creamy, creamy goodness from the apparently juicy soybeans. I'm still so impressed that their milk is legitimately not green. In addition, we'll all agree that Almond milk is probably the shittest, especially in tea. It's just like white water, but that kind of white water which was a glass that somebody left a paintbrush in to soak. A somewhat pathetic contender against the mighty oat milk. I once had the lucky experience of testing out all of rude health's alternative milks. And I can tell you all crippling with jealousy that I got to do a taste test because we can remember wanting to test rice milk and crying because it tasted like sugary rice water but cost more than a bag of basmati. But back to root Health, whose milks we can say are shockingly expensive now that most of us have had to pay for our own groceries. All I can tell you is that tiger nut milk is almost as bad as almond milk, despite its exotic name. is for aging. Now anybody older than 20 something please refrain from rolling your eyes but who else has discovered that you're not nearly as limber as you were as a teen and you finally understand what back pain actually means? All these signs of aging are starting to creep in and as a 20 something you're considering whether anti-aging creams are applicable to you now. Getting to my mid-20s I'm so aware of the fact that we are aging and that there's no going back. Today is the most youthful you will be for the rest of your life. Not to mention what better reminder of how we're ageing than that of our school friends getting married and producing offspring. Yes, you really are old when getting pregnant isn't so much of a mistake anymore, but a choice. A is also for avocados. I remember trying to explain to my grandma what an avocado is. Because this omnipresent fruit, and yes it is a fruit, I did google it, has become synonymous with our generation. I'm actually one of those weirdos who's just not that fussed, but the fact that they made an avocado burger, subbing the bun for avocado expresses its importance for the 20-something. And whether you're raving mad ravenous for avocado, or actually preaching how bad it is for the environment, and technically not even vegan, yes, I know, the avocado has become a conversation starter for all 20-somethings. Let me just backtrack there and explain to you the non-vegan friendliness of avocados. Avocado cultivation uses migratory bee keeping because naturally there just aren't enough bees to pollinate and help produce the vast quantities consumed today. Bees are being exploited, making the avocados just not a vegan friendly option. Unfortunately, almonds and many other crops also exploit bees in this manner. Avocados' popularity can be seen in the 21% increase of production between 2012 and 2016, totaling the global avocado imports to a whopping $4.8 billion in 2016. And whilst we're on the subject of fashionable fruit, we can't forget to give the fellow superfood side berries a mention in this 8 entry. Another food 20-somethings have increased the demand and supply for. Albeit, most of us probably can pronounce it correctly, so opt for the other smoothie bowl option. Fun fact about acai berries is that they promote cell growth and can be found as an ingredient in many beauty products today. So today's guest on this A entry for the A to Z for 20-somethings in the 21st century is Kate Bunchrock, who is today's academic or our specialist in academia, which prior to this conversation, I found it quite interesting how you were humbly said that you're not an academic but in my research no because I'm not (laughs) academia actually the definition of academic mainly came up with a definition of not of practical relevance of only theoretical interest so (laughs) wow so not only am I not an academic who's not really an academic but also Oh, yeah. Not of practical relevance. <laughs> Not of practical relevance. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> well, thank you for calling me an academic then. <laughs> to be fair, that's probably a lot of my life. <laughs> I think it's quite interesting though for us 20-somethings that academia has become such a... In, well, up until our 20s, we've only experienced academia. And I don't know whether you've like noticed it necessarily that it's different for our generation. Have you wondered why that is for me so academia is different from education so i think like um yeah definitely academia has come to mean something different in the 21st century clearly because i i don't think that most people would think of it now as being something that has no practical relevance i think that's kind of like a leftover from when academia was perhaps like the reserve of sort of wealthier people or wealthier classes of people who could afford to spend their time educating themselves rather than working whereas now that's something that's more widely available so it definitely has changed and education has evolved as well in Mm. our lifetime from being as you said purely theoretics to a more you get even practical studies I mean I studied marketing which I wouldn't necessarily describe as academic but they've just developed theories in it so I mean our generation is one of the most educated not all of us are undergrads of course but there's 40% r compared to our parents generation which were 15% and also another significant difference with our different generations have been that the number of females getting degrees before 25 is now 6% higher than our parents generation you've actually got a masters in english lit and an undergraduate in classics all before the age of 25 all highly impractical and irrelevant <laughs> <laughs> well it's all theory isn't it so it's a theoretical interest being an academic <laughs> i think that's where we're just gonna have to get around to at the end of the day <laughs> how much would you say that you actually know then oh crikey what a question not very much <laughs> i think especially because um so i think because i did two kind of essay-based literary type degrees and unlike a lot of degrees out there they're probably less practical than most less vocational than most so what I learned to do wasn't necessarily to pick up sort of subject specific knowledge. It was about how I think. So basically I was trained to be highly analytical of language in particular, but obviously that's applicable to lots of things. And that's why I've managed to use those degrees to get me some, some kind of practical and relevant job, <laughs> um, luckily. But yeah, I think I don't, probably, I don't know that much but it's more about how I've learned to address things, how to look at the world. So that's kind of the knowledge that I picked up from my degrees, I'd say. And also, obviously, a lot of kind of understanding about poetry and literature and art, which I love, but it's kind of something that I have to take into the world in a different way, because obviously I can't earn money from reading poetry. (laughs) Unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Would you say that a lot of twenty somethings are as humble as you are about being educated and academic? I don't know if I'd call it humble. I think it's almost that actually the value of or of university level education is different now. I think obviously obviously there are still huge inequalities in terms of you know socioeconomic background and that kind of thing and especially now as it's now very expensive to go to university and actually the numbers are dropping slightly but education and academia going back to the original definition sort of was what you said something of that wasn't accessible to everyone before mm. so it is like a valuable trait i think it depends who you speak to really i think there are quite a few students who go to university now Who kind of feel quite entitled to it and see it as a right and almost like a rite of passage type thing because it is available to so many more people. But for me, going to university, especially studying the degrees that I did, which as we've kind of talked about weren't necessarily particularly practical. I didn't become a lawyer or a doctor or an engineer. So I think it is a huge privilege to be able to spend a few years doing that and that is why I'm really humble about it or at least I try to be because I know that I was incredibly lucky to be able to do that and that you know there are so many factors that contributed towards getting me there the schools that I went to when I was younger even though I stayed educated the fact that my parents were very supportive of doing something like classics but not everybody has those kind of opportunities so I think everybody should be humble but that isn't necessarily the case because, I don't know, we, we've both been to uni and felt, you know, a lot of students kind of just basically go and have three years of partying on a government loan. <laughs> and because it's so common, I think a lot of people don't necessarily make the most of that opportunity. I think it's interesting that you described it as a rite of passage for some people because with that huge increase of numbers of people getting a university education, it has you know, up to that bar, of especially coming out of university as an undergrad trying to get a job. It's almost become a requirement and a prerequisite that everybody needs a degree. And I also notice it, getting later into my 20s, that you see masters cropping up more frequently as a prerequisite. So what do you think that impact has made on our lifetime in the 21st century? Mm, I think this is really interesting. So I was speaking to someone recently who is considering doing a master's because, as you say, they've noticed that a lot of the people in the jobs that they would like to be in have one. So they sort of feel like they have to have one. And I know this is something that's much more common probably in other countries like the Netherlands, but it is becoming increasingly... I think as w- it kind of goes back to what I was saying about the fact that it's become so much more common to go to university in the first place so many more people have degrees so then in order to set yourself apart from others you have to study even further um, and get a master's I think what what I said to my friend who was talking about that um, is that a master's in particular I think is something that you could kind of that is a path into academia in the more kind of formal sense as being an industry of university lecturing essentially, essentially and it sort of shouldn't be taken lightly it can it is also obviously a really good way to build your skills in a particular career but you should only do it if you really want to I think if you're really passionate about that subject kind of doing it as a means to an end is a bit of a shame really but yeah I think it probably is going to become more and more common for you know, the generations that are following us, kind of post-millennial, because the same thing will happen, I think. More people have masters, so it becomes, perhaps you'll need a PhD in the future to be able to get a job. I don't know, maybe people will have to study for longer. I mean, I think that's why it's such an important topic for 20-somethings in the 21st century, that academia, if you're going on to do a masters, that's almost all of your 20-somethings in education. You know, we haven't even experienced careers necessarily. Yeah, I definitely felt that very strongly when I came out of my master's. I was very aware that a lot of my friends had been in jobs for two or three years by the time I graduated and got my first sort of proper job. And that has all kinds of consequences, really. I think people who've been out of university or didn't go to university can you know tend to be sort of further on in their lives by the time they get to the point where I am now which is sort of 26 turning 27 people are buying houses and getting married and I am nowhere near (laughs) and I do sort of wonder whether the fact that I stayed in education for a lot longer than most partly because I did two gap years as well has kind of meant that my life narrative is a little bit behind and I wonder if that's something that is happening across kind of our generation. I don't think you have to necessarily describe it as behind. I don't mean backwards. Just there's a... T- there's a, there's a... <laughs> I don't mean <laughs> I I'm sort of... mean that you are backwards. Undeveloped. <laughs> it's just that my priorities at this point in my life are quite different. But trying to wedge in that academic segment into our lifetime would mean that you know, more traditional milestones will be pushed back. And that's not necessarily being pushed back. That's just the reality that we're living in then. Mm. that, And personally, it's a great, it's a great, that shift for me is a very good one, especially as a woman. I simply can't imagine being, you know, having not had those opportunities and a lot of people fought for those opportunities. So I'm grateful. <laughs> I just remember that bit in that Bridget Jones movie now though when they describe them as geriatric mothers when you're over 35. (laughs) well, Hopefully when you make that milestone they'll have changed the terminology. I'm going to be like (laughs) post-geriatric. So I have a few questions here that I've pulled up from my incredible great source of the QI book. Hit me. And I was just keen to see whether you know as much as those academics on the qi so keeping up with the episode this is going to be a train wreck (laughs) keeping up with the theme of this episode so all things a i've tried to incorporate a into each of the questions so which animal has different accents oh i would say birds birds have different tweets well that's interesting because do you mean like different birds as in like bird species because of course different bird species will have different tweets would they I feel like we're getting into the, like, is it a species, is it a genus kind of territory. And that is where my knowledge definitely ends. <laughs> um, it's not um, a bird. Yeah, are <laughs> <pretty> good. <laughs> um, maybe, I don't know, though. That kind of, that argument applies to sort of all animals. Because, like, obviously different species <laughs> sound different. Okay, let's stick. It's just one um, type of species. Like, humans. Okay, is it like a mammal or a fish? Can you give me a clue? Mammal. Mammal. You had to think about that. <laughs> it was back to. I haven't done um, biology for a good like 15 years. So I was like, what's a mammal again? <laughs> <laughs> um, monkeys. Nope. I'm trying to think of something that would have. Is it like regional accents? Yes. Yeah. so a bit like in britain how we've got like the scouse and <laughs> <laughs> scouse and geordies but i'm sure that most animals must have regional accents you know like a monkey in one part of i don't know malaysia's might sound a bit different from a monkey in another part of malaysia but... i didn't do this study kate so... i'm just pulling up my facts <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I am doing what every defensive person does and questioning the validity of the fact rather than the fact that I clearly don't know. <laughs> Would you like to know? Yes, please. <laughs> cows.
1: Cow oh, I
0: should have known that. Or I should at least have guessed that because I work in farming policy. But I didn't. <laughs> it might be very important now for your future work and you can say, oh, you have to be very considerate of the different cows and their accents. And not to like get our wires crossed when communicating cow facts <laughs> indeed <laughs> so if we if we continue with the theme of animals which pets can actually be allergic to humans oh which pets can be allergic to humans is it an obvious kind of pet or is it quite an, an unusual pet describe unusual as in less common <laughs> Less common to have than a cat or a dog or a hamster. You sound like one of those cryptic crosswords now. No, it's a very obvious kind of household pet. Okay. Dogs. Oh no, you went for the cats. wrong one, it's cats. Damn it. <laughs> there was You almost a 50- had a 50- yeah. fifty fifty. <laughs> exactly. Wow, cats can be allergic to humans. You knew. Which I think is quite fair because I think feel like most humans are allergic to cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, they've got very they're very hairy, aren't they? Yeah, they're very sensitive. Uh, though I'm not sure what the allergy comes from. I don't know whether it's just like dead skin that cats can be allergic to. Hmm. Don't know. Maybe it's kind of all the chemicals that we use, like perfume or shampoo or the stuff that we use on our skin. But then back to what you always were saying. Does that mean that they're allergic to humans or just the chemicals that we've introduced Mm -hmm. I mm, I guess the chemicals I suppose it must be our hair then or something that they're allergic to (laughs) we're getting very deep into this (laughs) Mm. I think this next question is a bit more up your street and it is what definition did the word twitter have in the 19th century oh definition In the 19th century, that's not that long ago. That's just a couple hundred. I mean, Twittering, is it drastically different from what it means now? Yes. Oh, interesting. Then I don't know. I'm not sure whether it's Twitter is in a noun or the verb, well, no, actually, I I do know it's a noun. (laughs) Oh, so a Twitter is a thing. Yeah. Hmm. Um, Is it some kind of group of animals? no because it sounds like it, you know how you have like a flamboyance of flamingos or whatever okay it's not that but that's not really a noun is it is it a noun oh dear should I have said that <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's one of those rogue adverbs when you're like <laughs> <laughs> what's the definition of an adverb again oh they end in ly right <laughs> <laughs> I don't know sorry you're gonna have to tell me apparently a twitter was an abscess on a horse's foot Ew, fourth <laughs> horse. <laughs> I'm just intrigued to see what the word today is now. I mean, why did they change that, or did horses just have stop having abscesses? I feel that they probably do still get abscesses. Maybe it's much less common though because their feet get looked very well looked after. I just realized I that horses case. don't have feet. <laughs> so I think my and no, they have like hooves. They don't have they? hooves, yeah. So by describing, I think my my sources are flawed. I I and it's still a foot. It's still a foot, right? Yeah, but the same way that right. our hands could be claws. Although, I mean, it's a bit poetic. but <laughs> Yeah, and also the claws would be the, the claw, like the hoof is the hoof on the foot. Isn't it just on or the ankle? it's just... <laughs> This is becoming embarrassing. I feel like we should be intoxicated for these conversations. I'm hoping that people will think we are. (laughs) Okay, my final fact um, that I pulled up through QI to test you is how many litres of water does it take to grow an almond? Oh, probably a shocking amount. I mean, almonds, they don't really differ in size either, do they? They're all quite small. Well... But in order to grow an almond, you have to grow an almond plant. Like, you can't grow... It's quite difficult for a singular almond, isn't it? Because <laughs> you have, like, many almonds on an almond plant. Um, I'm going to go for... Oh, I mean from the seedling. From an almond okay. seedling to sprout. Yeah. How many litres of water? Okay. Uh, 50? Okay, that was way out. It was five. but <laughs> Five? <laughs> Five. Oh, okay. I think that's still quite a large quantity. To produce an almond, you only need five, like from from nothing, from seed. I think that's a fair amount per almond. You need five liters to get an almond tree. Are we talking like just for the seedling to like grow into a? Do you know what I've realised? These questions are rubbish, and I'm not going to do this again <laughs> in any of my future podcasts. <laughs> Well, I'm glad cuz I have failed on every single one. So, well, as my academic for the episode, you are the only one that as your fake academic. Fake academic. It's been great to have you on. I think you've raised some really interesting concepts and ideas and definitely given me food for thought. And before we end, I would like to ask you what addition you'd like to make in this A entry of the A to Z for 20 somethings in the 21st century. So I said advertising. Yeah, very prominent in our lifestyle. Because exactly, exactly. I think that's exactly it. I think advertising has changed from the way it was when kind of our parents were kids, for example, to the way it is for us now, where we're kind of completely bombarded in every single element of our lives constantly all the time with advertising and marketing and it's I think something so I was talking to my mum about this recently um, and it really kind of like threw it into kind of put it in a different light for me and she was she was talking with my uncle and they could remember and sing all of the kind of advert jingles from the adverts that were on tv when they were a kid when they were kids because there were only three channels and the channels all played the same adverts just over and over and over again. And they were always really musical. So the children literally learned them back to front and they can still sing them now. And then I think about, I contrasted that with kind of how many adverts do I see in like the average day? Mostly obviously through my phone and social media. And I think it's really it's really interesting and it's something that's changed and is becoming increasingly more sinister The more that we kind of understand how it's working and how it's being used to manipulate or predict behaviours. So I think as a 21st century, 20-something, that is something that I think is going to become more and more prominent in kind of our collective psyche. Thinking about how we interact with the world and how much we have a choice in what we do and buy. So yeah. Yeah. That's what I like to end on. I think it's a great addition. <laughs> Advertising goes right in there. Thank you, Kate, for taking the time out today to sit down and talk about education and academia. It's been really interesting, at least for me, I hope, hopefully for all the listeners too. And next time, if I have you on, the quiz will be better. I promise. Thanks. <laughs> this week's more serious footnote is Anxiety. Now, an alarming number of 20-somethings are being diagnosed daily with anxiety disorders. This number is higher than any previous generation during their 20s. With the diversity of anxiety and the unclear root of this illness, there is not necessarily one reason why anxiety has plagued our generation. There's the mounting social pressures fueled by social media, the intense job competition, the lifelong motto of being the success you are but only counting your failures, can all be triggers and causes of anxiety disorders. Anxiety disorders have not only crippled the minds of us 20-somethings, but they can also impact your sense of smell. That's right. A study found that anxiety can cause you to perceive neutral smells as bad smells. There is good news. Anxiety disorders are considered to be highly treatable, yet only a third of sufferers are seeking help. So... If you are experiencing anxious emotions, panic attacks, distress, or any other symptom that just doesn't feel normal, please reach out to somebody. Even if it's just your GP, a trusted friend, or mind charity. As scary as they seem, people can help. So that's it. We've come to the end of the first episode of the A to Z for 20 somethings in the 21st century. Thank you for tuning in. And a special thanks to Kate for joining me on this podcast today. And if you do have any questions or would like to be interviewed in future episodes, just send me an email at senny.whitaker at gmail.com. And I'll look forward to welcoming you back next week. Thanks. Bye.